to the Roots Report. My name is Patrick. This is Joe. And I'm Tim. What are we going to talk about today, Patrick? And in case you didn't notice, instead of Major, today we have Joe. Whoa! Who's Joe? Roots Research, very own TA specialist. Your friendly neighborhood chart nerd. And today <laughs> we are going to talk about what is TA? Why does it matter? How we can use it? What are the basics? And Joe's very own top five indicators. So why don't you take us off from the beginning here, Joe? What is technical analysis? So technical analysis is, is one of the two schools of trading thought. You've got fundamentals, which focuses on the actual viability of the company, how good is it on a balance sheet, the actual existence of what they do, and then the technical side, which is using charts and different tools to kind of take a look at how the stock has traded previously to determine where it's going to trade in the future. There's a lot of different ways to go at it, and you see everything on screens that looks super complicated and lots of lines and symbols and colors, and all they're basically representing is where do people own the stock at, at what price point, and where do we expect those groups of ownership to impact when people are going to buy it and when they're going to sell it in the future. Hmm. Interesting. So the, the concept is to take those mathematical probabilities and apply them to where can we make money in between those movements, right? And the more complicated and sophisticated the trading strategies get, the more deep you dive into those ownership levels and price movements. But what we want to focus on today is the very basics of how that chart is made up and some decent indicators to tell us why those ownership points matter. So you could almost say you're trading on like the psychology of traders and like knowing uh, like the mathematics behind it all and like where they have bought in due to like an increase in volume here or um, increase in volume whenever they're selling even as well. But it's a, it's a lot of uh, like, I don't want to say extracurricular thought, but like it's a, a lot of things about like market participants that you also kind of need to understand there too, right? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of theory crafting that goes into it. And that's a very good point about psychology and that you're looking at, okay, people have bought this stock at $5 in the past and it hasn't been around that price point in a while. So as we approach that $5 mark, we know that a bunch of folks own $5 versions of that stock and are going to want to get rid of it because they've been holding on to it for a long time or vice versa as the price is coming down and falling and you see a bunch of people own the stock at $5, we're assuming that the market believes that that's the bare minimum value of that company. So if we're going to get the best possible price, that's where we think it's going to be at. And because most of the people have bought there. Correct. So You've got like a large group of ownership price. there. Yeah, fair. Yeah, it's a collective. Everyone's saying, okay, company X is absolutely worth at least this because a bunch of people have bought it at at least this. So that's where I'm going to try and get my money at. And you've got that mental side of it where people have that same understanding, but you've also got very large investment groups and banks that have trading computers built around that same concept. They look at that information, so it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy at a certain point where everyone agrees that, okay, that's what this is worth. That's how we're going to trade on. Hmm, interesting. I like the use of the self-fulfilling prophecy there because it's basically large institutions trading with large institutions under the same set of rules where they all just agree that these things happen. Right. As important as we can feel and as, as strongly of a participant in the market that we can seem as as retail traders, ultimately the market makers are the guys that are selling you know billions of dollars at a time and buying billions of dollars at a time. Our, our drop in the bucket matters not in terms of driving the price, but the in-between those points, the in-between where those trading computers are making all the decisions of 30, 40, 80% swings, there's a lot of money to be made. 
Yep, exactly. And that's and that's why you're here. <laughs> that's the goal at the very least. <laughs> yeah, and I think also from a psychological point of view, if you think about it from the point of a investor, if it's gone up and down and now it's back at the $5, you're probably least likely to sell considering that, you know, you've held it for so long and you've already kind of decided that you didn't want to sell it at $5. There was even a similar psychological study where they gave somebody a coffee mug and asked them how much they would sell it for, and they said, you know, maybe $10. But then when they asked people who didn't have a coffee mug and asked them how much they would pay for the same coffee mug, they said maybe like $3. And so it kind of gives you an idea of how people ascribe their own value on something that they own and have held rather than something that they don't have. So it kind of shows you how you might hold on to something for what you bought it for rather than sell it because it has like kind of your own imbued value. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good point into to humanizing technical tra- trading too because those those charts do represent that. You see it in in shows like Hoarders where somebody has, you know, 50 tractors in their backyard that are all falling apart. All the newspapers back from 1950. Like, yeah, just, just, but it's valuable to them. Yeah. But you tell them like, Hey, I need to get rid of this. This is not worth anything. You need to, you need to offload it. And they're like, no, I, I paid $350 for that. I'm not letting it go unless I get 400. So it's, yeah, that, that psychology exists in every aspect of our life where, you know, if I got, this at this price, I don't want to take a loss. So as that price comes down on a stock, if they're already that low, like, well, we, you know, I bought it at five, it went to 10, it's back down to five now, but surely it'll at least go back up to 10. So you, you do have that long-term hold and that kind of is the definition of what builds support and resistance points. Now, to play devil's advocate here, I know some people will compare technical analysis to some other like hoodoo or witchcraft or magic and even liken it to something like astrology, a pseudoscience. So why would you say, Joe, that it is or isn't like that? Well, I think the disconnect comes when people start using TA as a Bible, as a this is going to happen, where you start making definitive for sure situations where there you know there's no other outcome but what this chart says is going to happen. That's true if you factor in both sides of it. This chart is going to play out one of two ways. The key is to be able to make take an unemotional approach to it and know that if this happens, then it's going to go down. If this happens, then it's going to go up. That's a very simplistic explanation of it, but what happens is you have people that get emotionally tied to that. They go out and they preach this gospel of, this chart is correct, it will be correct, there's nothing that can stop it, and then it fails. And the guys that are trading fundamentals, that are looking at the actual value of the company, they're like, see, I told you that was crap, no one wants to buy used vacuum cleaner filters. Like, there's... So you, you get this disconnect between the actual value of the stock versus the expectations of a technical trader. If you remain unemotional and you pay attention to the pattern that you have established uh, and say that, you know, if it goes below this point, that pattern is no longer valid. It's trash. Throw it away. Sell it. Accept the minimal loss that you had and walk on. And the opposite is true. If it breaks out and goes up, then you're confirmed and you look like you're a genius. 
So it's uh, it, it's all about sticking to the data and not using that chart as gospel. Right. I think that's really good advice, too. I think a lot of people get too emotional when they trade and they don't look at what's actually right in front of them. And if you're going to get emotional and trade, you won't beat people who are, you know, just using logic and seeing what's there. And yeah. a lot of being emotional and trading is like the... The, the sort of like constant monitoring of charts and stuff. I feel like that's whenever you become or like can fall into a trap of being like very emotional with your trading. Especially if you're you're taking a series of losses. Yeah. Like if if you're a technical trader and you are on your ninth trade where it's coming down to your stop loss and you're about to take another two percent hit on your portfolio for the ninth time in a row, it's going to feel like you're you, you have this false equivalency of okay, odds are it's gonna happen this time. It has to go up now. I lost eight times in a row. It's just it's not probability the way you would think it is so you get invested in that idea of this is my break it has to work now and you end up holding on to it a lot longer than you should and you can get in a lot of trouble yeah it's very true i feel like it's happened to all traders at one point or another for sure, i'm though. still guilty of it the the, yeah. the monotony of of technical trading <laughs> will wear you down it uh it is a, a brutal game of staying consistent and absolutely sticking to your trading strategy because as soon as you start deviating from it you're just opening yourself up to more risk and you're playing more of you know you hear a lot of people call it hopium you're getting high on the on the possibility of what that chart can do and when it doesn't present or if it invalidates itself then you you feel like you've wasted so much time and money so the next trade you're like okay this has to hit has to and then it doesn't and then it doesn't, and then it doesn't, and now you're just left holding a bunch of bags that aren't coming back, buddy. So at the end of the day, you're you're playing with a law of averages, right? Your your TA game is to find a strategy or develop one that, on average, will grow your portfolio, and there's acceptable loss in there. And once once you can disconnect that emotion and accept those losses within that strategy, and if you have to make adjustments to it, but be reasonable in your expectations. And what do you think reasonable expectations would be? Someone so, like, I don't know, has no idea about percent returns or anything from the stock market. What would a like actual expected return be in today's day and age? So what? your return rate and what your goals are always, always, always going to fall back on your risk tolerance. How much are you willing to lose and how much are you willing to lose per trade? Because the more risk you take on, the higher possibility of gain. The less risk, the slower growth. That's a pretty basic concept, but applying it is where it gets tricky. Our goal as traders, and with everybody, is to beat the market, right? We want to do better than what we could get in a 401k. We want to do better than we could get just in a basic savings account or a CD. We want to grow our money. But when you start getting above the percents that you would get from a CD from a certified deposit, uh, or from a 401k, now you're saying, can I beat professional traders? Can I beat professional bankers at what they do? To do that, you need to take on more risk. You need to go after trades that are not going to be long-term holds. You need to identify situations where you're going to gamble, because this is just an educated gamble. You are going to gamble a portion of your funds and try and make more money than you would out of your savings account. A reasonable goal for that, let's say you wanted to make 10% a year, which will beat the pants off of any savings account you'll find. No credit union is going to get you scored away with that. If you want 10% a year, you have to back that into, well, how much do I need to make per month? 
what do I need to make per week? And then you get into what do I need to make per trade? Fair. That gives so you depending an idea. on the number of trades and how active you want to be. Right. Doing so if I the, the, if I want ten percent a year, am I doing five trades a month? Where you know I'm I'm breaking it into those smaller percents, or am I going to take big swings and rolls of roll the dice? You're on one or two trades throughout the year that make five percent each. Let's say. Yeah. Yeah. So that and then you look at okay if that fails. And I don't make that, if I don't win, right, where do I sell? Where do I get rid of those shares? The difference in that entry where you first bought it at and where you decide the most you want to sell is that's your risk tolerance. Did I just risk 2% of my funds on a 5% gain? And most traders will tell you that's not an acceptable ratio. If I'm going to risk 2% of my portfolio... I want a chance at at least a 20% gain. So then then, then you're like, if, if I want to risk 1% and make 10%, that's the ratio I want to go with, right? That's what I establish in my brain based on my goals for annual growth. That means that out of 10 trades that I make, if one of them hits, I break even. That's a very reasonable risk strategy because you are now counting on a 10% chance of success paying for your failures. And this is kind of where we get into like, tracking your trades and getting into what your win percentage is so you can actually sort of really start to collect some data on yourself as a trader like and that's, that's very that's handy to do very much so and that's the great part about technical analysis is you can go back in time and say I'm going to start trading from January of 2021, and it's September right now. But you can go in and you can find your strategies, and if I'm going to buy these stocks, you know, be when this indicator hits this point. And you can go for nine months out of this year and see if your strategy is effective before you even spend a penny. You can't do that with fundamentals. So it's a great way to, to study historical data to see if what you plan on doing is going to work. Yeah, it's a big part of developing algorithms as well for any algorithm. Big part of it. There. Big part of it. It's actually the, the main part of developing algorithms. So for the lay people out there, Joe, what would you say are the basics are? And could you give us like maybe five top indicators that you use? So what you're looking for, and we're, we're specifically talking about technical charts here, which are based on candles. A candle is a representation of where a stock traded at during a certain period of time. Um, as those charts are built, they're going to give you what are referred to as support and resistance lines. A support and resistance are, are some of the very basic uh, ideas for where a price is going to move at, and it's based on what we talked about for about before about ownership groups at certain price points. So if a bunch of people have purchased a stock around $5, and then that price immediately drops down to $3, and a bunch of people buy it around $3, you now have support at $3 because the market is saying collectively as a group of traders that this stock is worth $3 and no less. We don't believe it's going to go below this point. The adverse of that is now everybody that bought at $5 sees that the market says that it's worth $3 and they're wanting to get rid of their shares. So as the price climbs back up toward $5 and as trading picks up toward that price point, all of those folks that own everything at 5 bucks are going to try and dump them as soon as they can at $5, at $4.99, at $4.98. And that creates what's referred to as resistance. That resistance point means that the price is going to go up and it's not going to go any further because everyone is saying that it's not worth more than five bucks because they bought it there before and damn it, I want to get rid of it. So it drives the cost down. 
So it's as, uh, like price levels that have higher volumes, I guess you could say, or like a consistent sort of um, like price action where it stays within a range or like doesn't go past a certain range that could be described as a resistance or a support line. That's correct. Those price levels act as a barrier to movement on the chart. Okay. And it's going to either stop the price from going up or it's going to hold the price up if it's cratering down to find somewhere that someone said, you know, it's, it's continually falling, but someone says, no, 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 this is worth three bucks. I'll buy this at $3. You're selling, if it's on sale for that much, give me all I can take. Fair. And you'll see and these a, big... A lot of people are all of a sudden buying at $3 and I also think that it's worth $3. So it's worth $3. Yeah. So if a market maker comes in, BlackRock says, well, that's worth 3 bucks. Give me a million shares. Every other trader is going to go, well, shit, they think it's worth that point. Let's grab it. Let's send it up at the at, at $3. If that's the, the guy doing it, I want, an, I want a piece of that action. And it's going to keep climbing up until... And almost like an auction style. Um, do I have 320? Do I have 350? Do I have 375? Do I? And and it keeps doing that as people buy and sell at at those points. When you see the price of a stock crater or take off and just start climbing crazy high and then stop at a certain point, it's not because traders are bored. It's not because you know the market suddenly cooled off. There's that's when an the argument. sellers are selling, or that's when the buyers are buying. Exactly. There's a conflict ah. going on between older owners of the stock, people that have had it for a while, and people that are looking to get in at new prices. You have these large blocks of ownership that are going back and forth saying, I want it for 301 And then someone will ask, well, I'm not going to sell it until you give me 304 And then there's physically no shares to be traded until that disagreement is settled. So when you see things like bid and ask... Someone is bidding, saying, "Hey, you know, I, I want this price at this or this stock at this price." The ask on the other side is saying, "Well, you're not going to get it unless you give me this." So that's that's where you see those halts in trading or those stops on a chart, and this can happen on a on a 60 second timeline or this can happen on, on a monthly timeline. That's why these candles are so unique on the chart is because that support and resistance exists at every time frame. There is always a group of people trying to sell. There's always a group of people trying to buy. The support and the resistance levels are where there is a disagreement on that price. And what I think is interesting is that they're not mutually exclusive. So when something falls through support, it can also become resistance going the other way. So if it's cratering down to $5 and you say, oh, there has to be resistance here, and then that support fails, when it comes back up, that $5 level will now also generally act as resistance going back up. Exactly. And that kind of carries us into and is a nice segue into volume, which is an incredibly important concept to understand in trading for technicals because not just the price points, not just that disagreement of support and resistance, but the, the definition of how frequently that truck that stock is traded at that point makes a big difference in whether or not that price point becomes support or resistance or whether or not it's just another blip on the radar moving forward. If something flies through a price, let's say we use that $5 mark again, if a bunch of people buy up all those $5 shares and it just keeps going because volume is so high, because there's so many people that want a piece of this action, 
that there's not going to be a big ownership block at that point anymore because those people selling at $5 are now going to get it for $5.25 or $5.50. They're going to get better value than what they were planning on. And that thins out or spreads out the ownership of, well, everyone owns it at 5 Well, now, you know, 50% of that group owns it at 5 another 10% owns it at 5 10 another 10% owns it at 5 20 It thins out how thick that wall is for a visual. And now when it comes back down into that area, that $5 range isn't going to matter anymore because it's been spread out across different price points because the volume was so high. So many people wanted it, wanted to buy that company that they were willing to pay higher prices for it. So you have a, a kind of a volume shearing of that supporter resistance. It breaks apart those lines once it moves through it. Fair. I see. That's interesting. I've never thought about it that way. And so the, uh, the following the volume of a stock on how it interacts with those ownership levels makes a big difference in whether or not that level matters again. So as, as you're charting and you see that once it hit that resistance point, the volume died, that's an indicator that the market said, well, that's it. Five bucks is the most I'm willing to pay for it. The company's not worth more. I'm going to wait for the price to come down and re-enter. If you see a volume spike at resistance or support walls, you can almost count on that price point not mattering in the future because it's been broken apart by so much active trading. So volume, that's support and resistance, and then and then these indicators are gonna, not going to be in any particular order of importance, but just as they relate to each other, volume plays a big difference on whether or not support and resistance matter in the future. And then, right, so if as, as volume approaches a support and resistance level, the higher the volume of activity, the less that support or res- resistance line will be relevant. W- Instead of volume of activity, would we be able to say like the the frequency of the volume, like the more concentrated it is at a certain price level, the stronger the support or the stronger the resistance would be? That's accurate. Yeah. Um, and that plays into, I love how you guys are lining up the segues, gentlemen. I'm not sure if you're doing it intentionally, but it's brilliant. Hey. <laughs> but you start talking about volume weighting of prices, specifically uh, the next indicator in a volume weighted average price, the VWAP or VWAP. This is a set of that. It's, it basically takes the benchmark of how much the stock has been traded within a time period compared to the volume that it was traded at in that time period. Basically, it helps people get an idea of whether or not that stock is overpriced because of volume. So if somebody is selling burritos for two bucks a piece, right? And a guy comes in, he's got a big work crew and he needs 50 of them. And the guy's like, well, they're two bucks a piece, no problem. He sells out right away, no problem. Comes back the next day, wants to buy 50 burritos. And the guy's like, all right, they're $5 a piece. Your volume is driving the price above the actual value of the stock. So that the next day, when that guy with the work crew doesn't show up, and that guy is now holding a bunch of things for burritos at 5 bucks, no one's buying. They want the $2 burrito. Your VWAP is that $2 price point. It's saying that at normal volume, this is the weighted average price that this stock should be. According to its average volume, based on however far back you decide to look with the algorithm there. Correct. So traditional yeah. VWAP is only going to give you information from the open of market one day to the close of one day. It's a, it's a only active trading day window. There's a couple other indicators that allow you to customize 
that time frame, but basically it's saying that based on the average trading price at the average volume, this is what this stock's value should be. And the inverse is true also. If it doesn't have a lot of volume and the price is falling because that lack of volume, that value, that VWAP, is going to stay higher than what the current active trading price is. So there's a lot of indicators that you can get into that kind of pair into this idea of volume dictates the price, but at the end of the day, there still is a fair market value that's going to hold average. The, the trick is to figure out which one's more important. Is a bunch of people being there causing the demand, driving the price up? Or is it actually worth that? True. Did something fundamentally change in the company? Did they like release a new product? May a partnership with Apple. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. very important, too. And that sort of ties into market psychology and, like, what the news is talking about, too. Am I right? Yeah. It's it's important to understand that, going back to our conversation about not holding TA as the Bible or as the end-all, be-all, that the more indicators that you have, the more likely something is to happen. Um just because one indicator is screaming, you know, this this is what's happening, if you go to other technical support indicators, uh, it could be a completely false signal. You could have things that conflict with each other. Um, that's why it's important while you're developing a strategy based on technical analysis to ensure that you have different inputs, different information different sources it's critically important to developing your strategy yeah and something i see is that people will you know scream all the time oh look at it's going up it has to go up because look at the charts but what a lot of people fail to realize is you know that guy is looking at maybe the one minute chart so yeah over the next few minutes it might go up but you have to keep in mind your own personal time frame of how long you're going to want to uh, be in it and on if you look zoom out to like the weekly or daily chart it might be different. And so you have to keep your own personal time frame in mind when trading as well. Exactly. And and these indicators are, if you don't build a strategy completely around them, it's an excellent opportunity to learn how to kind of maximize your entry or your exit to a price. If you're a fundamental trader, you feel like you believe in a company or something is happening that you know in your heart of hearts that, that you're going to ride this thing out, it's still useful to take this technical information and say, well, you know, this support and resistance, this volume, this VWAP, some of these other indicators are telling me that I could buy at a cheaper price and still get that growth, but I'll just have a better average coming in. So as you as you work through your trades and as you pay attention to and learn how to use technical data, if anything, using it to inform your entry and your exit into a stock is a big benefit. Yeah, right, right. And so you mentioned that VWAP was one indicator. What are some other indicators that you like to use? I really like moving averages. And a moving average is basically taking a set of data, whether it's 20 candles, 50 candles, 100 or 200, and drawing out an average of their movement, of their price movement. When I say movement, I mean it traded in these price ranges over this date. So that means that over the next however many days or however many weeks or months that we can expect an average movement of whatever the average of that time frame is. Um, specifically, exponential moving averages is my, my preference because it's the same concept as a moving average, but it gives more weight to more recent data. So if you take um, the data points for the last 20 days of trading, 
and take that subset of data and get data and give yourself an average um, of that, it's going to give more importance to, it's going to give a higher weighted average to the most recent 10 days. So you get a more accurate idea of the momentum of the stock on top of the movement of the stock. It's a little more complicated formula, but I think it's important to recognize that something that was happening 50 days ago isn't as relevant as the ones that happened 20 days ago. And the way these are represented on your chart is you have a 20-day average, a 50-day average, a 100-day average, and a 200-day average. And obviously, the longer timelines that you get, the less volatile those average lines are going to be. And to an extent, the more meaningful those lines will be. The more data you have creates stronger support than something more recently. As those lines converge at certain price points, as they cross over each other, as they interact with other indicators like support and resistance, that's where you start getting that combination of multiple indicators supporting price movement. So if I've got a moving average coming up on an area of support for a stock, that's telling me that I have two indicators now that are saying that that price point that we're approaching is supported by historical data. It's saying that there are not only stock ownership in that area in the support line, but also psychological evidence on that EMA that the momentum of the price is going to find support in that area as well. So I have two things telling me that that price is worth worth at least that value. Or the inverse could be true if we're coming up on resistance and now that resistance lines up with a 50-day EMA, meaning that the average of trading has not exceeded this point in 50 days then that's two very strong indicators that we're going to have trouble going above the value of that. EMAs are going to act as guidelines. Yeah, so the the term is confluence, right? It's just saying that we have multiple things in this point saying are agreeing with each other. And the more confluence you have of indicators, if you can get the high volume on a support line on top of an EMA line, that's three indicators that that's the rock bottom of that price, that that's the lowest we're going to go, and you can expect a reversal from that point. Um, that's a specific case, but that's what you're looking for is multiple price or uh, multiple indicators telling you the same thing. And the more technical data that you have agreeing on something, the better the odds are that that pattern or that movement is going to hold true. Right. And personally, I've used a lot of these in the past. Now, I know a popular one is RSI. Do you think people are pretty accurate with using this or do you use it personally? What do you think about RSI? RSI is a fun one. This is when you start getting to some of the some of the technical voodoo that freaks people out because if you go in to look at the definition of it, then it starts burying into oscillator algorithms and formulas that were developed 30 years ago and da 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 da, and a bunch of stuff that's very dry reading and it's it's very dense uh, if you're not terribly interested or familiar with the system. But basically, it's the relative strength index. It's a line on chart bouncing between two other lines that tells you what the momentum of the stock is. And what you're assigning is an RSI value. The relative strength index value is going to be somewhere between 0 and 100. And if you think of it as like a pass and a failing grade for for a stock... If something is below a 30, that generally means that it's been oversold, that there is too much selling going on 
for the value or the demand of the stock. And that a reversal in that price, a reversal in that falling price value is fairly imminent. The reverse of that is anything above 70. If your RSI value is above 70, this formula is saying that the stock is overbought that people are buying it at too high of a price based on those formulas and that you can expect a failure, some bearish movement soon. It sounds pretty simple. A lot of people have some pretty basic trading concepts built around it that if it's under 30, you buy. If it's over 70, you sell. And there's success to be had there. But momentum indicators like this are, again, it's important that you pair it with other information. Um, if you take a stock that's in a long uptrend, something like Amazon or Tesla that's just going nuts, it can be over 70. It can be in an overbought condition for like a year and just keep going up and it doesn't matter. Or if you have something that's in a, a constant downtrend, a stock that's just been dying forever, if you get into an oversold condition and you're under 30, I've seen RSIs as low as 12 and the stock price continues to fall. So it's important that you pair this with other indicators and take it in context. Because again, technical analysis is not the Bible, it's not the gospel, it's guidance. And if you compare that with other indicators, you can build some pretty successful ones. I personally really enjoy RSI in what's referred to as RSI smoothing. It's It takes the basics of the RSI concept and takes in more data, more price points. So in, in a typical RSI out formula, you're looking at 14 candles, right? 14 periods to be calculated. On an RSI smoothing algorithm, you take 20 candles, you take a longer data set, and you average out that RSI value throughout that 20-day period, and then you take the volume that's associated with those, and now instead of a 30, a 30 value and a 70 value border, and so you've got those hard fixed pass-fail points of under 30 or over 70, it gives you borders that move with the value and volume of the stock. So it could drop it could drop into the 40s where typically that would just be a you know an average RSI value but that smoothing algorithm takes the context of how it's been trading historically and says that well 40 RSI is rock bottom it's going to go back up from here and it will it will adjust those upper and lower borders to bring up support or bring down resistance Based, based on, on previous more relevant volume. data. Exactly. Previous volume and stuff. Ah, interesting. Okay. So when you go through our due diligence and when you see some of the charts that I post in Discord and they've got what looks like a typical RSI uh, band on the bottom and then there's other floating lines that come up or down with it, that's that smoothing process. That's giving you a more ticker-specific momentum indicator. For bearish and bullish movement. Ah, neat. So it's kind of okay. it's kind of kind of combines a lot of stuff. It kind of gets into some of the 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 mathematical voodoo. But at the end of the day, you're taking some of those core concepts, right? Volume. We tried momentum. to avoid math today. Let's be honest. Yeah, what? Guys, it's late at night. We're not we're not here for thinking. All right, we're gonna <laughs> coffee in a little while. <laughs> That's but you're you're combining multiple indicators, right? That's that's all it's doing is it's taking multiple data points and it's saying, do you guys agree? And if they do, then we start making some decisions based on multiple indicators agreeing. Make your educated guests a little bit more educated. 
we're fine-tuning gambling, boys. We're counting cards, and the better we can get at counting cards, the more money we're going to make. <laughs> yeah, it's just like back in the 80s when people were actually making a lot of money off of just card counting at casinos until eventually the casinos had to stop them because they were like, hey, you're not supposed to make money here. <laughs> you're and supposed to be giving us money, slowly. Us your money. Well, we give it back sometimes. You yeah. youths taking advantage. <laughs> So all these indicators, VWAP, RSI, exponential moving average, they all take into account a time period, right? What would you say is the best time period, or what time periods do you use most often? Yeah, so I, I work in a couple different time frames, and, and when I chart something, I'll always start on the monthly, because the longer term data, the more reliable it is, right? You're looking for consistency, you're looking for averages that are built on the most information. Um, going from monthly to weekly gives you a better idea of the momentum of the price. Are we in a long-term bearish, bearish movement? Are we long-term bull? And then it gives you ranges to work in between. So using our 3 and $5 example before, if we don't care whether or not people like it at 3 or $5, and all we're trying to do is buy at 3 and sell at 5 the daily is going to be your best look for that because that's going to give you that more volatile look at things. Your technical analysis is going to get more accurate the shorter time frames you work in because you're dealing with data that is fast-moving, raw, and will most likely be computer-controlled because those trading computers and algorithms are going to be dictating that movement. As you get into the longer time frames, you start factoring in more fundamentals, you start getting more press involved, you get more emotional people influence. Um, so it depends on your goals. If you're looking for short-term trades and things like that, the four-hour chart is a great one because you're splitting the trading day up in half, right? You get a little pre-market, a little post-market, and you get to see a four-hour candle that interacts with all of those indicators and gives you an idea of what people are feeling like early in the day, how they felt at the end of the day, and it's still wide enough to be able to see like what the week looks like. If you're looking at investment properties, uh, things like that, monthly and weekly, are definitely going to be your go-to uh, time frames for these indicators to start lining up. And it's going to really give you the best opportunity to find patterns that we can cover on a different episode of, of, of how to do pattern recognition. But the longer term a pattern exists, the more likely it is to produce the expected outcome. So you would say that support resistance, volume, VWAP, RSI, and exponential moving averages are your main top five indicators. Is that correct? That, that was perfectly wrapped up there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was lost for words at the end. I was like, wow, I can't even add anything. <laughs> I, I would say that's your best five in terms of learning technical analysis. That's your baseline introduction to TA. Um, not in any necessary order like that. Um, those are going to be the building blocks for more complicated strategies. The stuff like Bollinger Bands and moving average convergence divergence, stuff that gets into really technical and mathematically involved indicators are all going to be built on that group of five. And they'll give, once you have a core understanding of those, then you can start moving on to the algebra. You can start moving into the trick. It's, this is your long division, folks. Learn these, and it's the basis for your for mathematics moving forward. 
Exactly. And volume, there's so much to learn. And even just like sort of the abstract concept of volume, like the laws of supply and demand, like that all takes into account with stocks. Like there's a certain amount that can ever be available. And like, I don't know, d- depending on uh, corporate negotiations and like deals that have happened in the past, corporate structure, there may be a certain amount of that that's like created new for employees every year or uh, certain amounts that are sort of locked up in other institutions because they had given them money to sort of start their business there's there's a lot that goes on with volume and like sometimes it's it's new volume coming into the market which is kind of we got a glimpse in that over the past coronavirus here there's a lot of new traders on the market new money coming in so it was kind of hard to gauge where and when things were gonna sort of settle it's a very important point and it's a very good point that labeling these basics is by no way meaning that they're going to be easy concepts to grasp and they're going to be very convoluted. There's a lot of input into each portion of it and it's important that if you're going to base your trading strategy on it that you understand that your understanding or your use of that indicator is not going to always be true. And There's... it'll it'll change in like a blink of an eye too. Like you'll realize something and just be like, wow, I was looking at this under a completely different lens. Like, no, we're not going to be trading this today or whatever. And just being able to bounce some of these ideas off one another, just to get other people's insight as to like current, like how does this look like as of right now, not 10 days ago or like overall, like right now, how does it look? And that's something it's, it's good to just have like a, a, a little discord or like a chat room to go and ask some people about it. Your trading strategy should always be a living thing. It should always exist to evolve. It should always be open to criticism. It should always be something that you can go in and find a problem with. If you look at what you're doing and don't find a weakness, you're doing it wrong. For sure. Hmm. Right. And that's because the market is a living thing. Something that worked five years ago won't work today because it's a different market than it was five years ago, obviously. There's been a lot of new money printed and come into the market it's a completely new beast it was not the same as it was last covid changed everything look at zoom exactly zoom got zoomed up five years ten years because uh, everybody started moving to uh online jobs online learning the whole education sector and that all got sped up by covid like right crazy yeah who who would have thought that four years ago tim and i touched on this earlier uh before we got started about sectors about what the market thinks is hot at the moment it sounds silly but ultimately guys it's people behind this it's individuals it's companies it's it's people with emotions it's you and i it's massive corporations it's retirement portfolios it's people coming out of high school with a little bit of money in their pocket like also i think something to really keep in mind is that hedge funds are run by people too you know they're not flawless and you can kind of even think about it as you know people fake it until they make it as a hedge fund manager you might invest a billion dollars into this company just because you think it might be the next big thing and then you can be wrong about that i mean we've seen that in our own due diligence and research that you know sometimes hedge funds are wrong you know they take big losses on a certain position or even most notably just in this year where gamestop bankrupt uh, a few hedge funds and i think the most notable one was but they got completely toasted by the gme citron or citadel they shorted everything at like two dollars a share yeah no i don't think so both of those are still around oh i see no citadel bought that company out or Hmm. they like absorbed them 
Oh, wow. Melvin. You talking about uh, Melvin Capital or? Melvin. <laughs> yeah, they, they lost, and in one short play, I think it was, they, I think they're pretty sure they're based out of London or something like that, but they lost over 50% of their capital in January. Oh my God. Which Imagine. Is, <laughs> and you you were talking about billions of dollars evaporated on and bad like, decision making. Okay, yes, we're talking about billions of dollars, but we're also talking about like probably hundreds of thousands of families. You know what I mean? That's the part that I really don't like about the whole thing. <clears throat> well, yeah, I, mean, I would hope you don't all all eggs in one basket into a, a, a hedge fund, <laughs> but like. Whew, Wow. We, we, we have a specific role for people like that in our Discord. We'll get you a bright pink <laughs> color because you're scary. Yeah. But that said... Join Violet. Please. She's nice. <laughs> yeah, Vi- Violet's a wild one. We, we enjoy that kind of attitude. It's fun to balance both sides of the scale because we have some exceptionally conservative folks on one side and then others that are just YOLOing 40,000 shares because why not? I just kind of want to want to recap what uh, something that you guys touched on and I feel like is very important is don't get caught up in the charts. Don't get caught up in the lines, the magic voodoo geometry that is technical analysis. Remember what it represents. Remember that those levels mean that someone owns that stock, that that pattern exists because people decided that that value didn't exist. So keep in mind the reality of technical analysis and you'll do a lot better than trying to play square peg, square hole. Thank you for listening to The Roots Report by Roots Research. Everything discussed in this podcast should be considered to be disinterested commentary between the hosts, and this is not financial advice as we are not financial advisors. Please be sure to share and follow us on Twitter and Spotify, and even join our Discord. Links are in the description below. This has been Roots Research, and stay rooted.